Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Greetings everybody, welcome to this latest episode from the Stargate Archives. We have a new episode this week, we'll be looking at the Stargate SG-1 episode, The Torment of Tantalus, and I am being joined by Brad. How are you mate? Oh good Mike, how are you? <laughs> Much better than you sound. Yes, very late into winter here, and well actually spring now, but yeah, the dreaded flu has decided to poke its head in one more time. No, not to worry. But hey, Torment of Tantalus, finally, a good one. A good one. <laughs> Shame on you, this Brad. For, Shame on you. This is for all the emancipations out there. I finally get there. All <laughs> <laughs> right, The Torment of Tantalus, first aired October the 3rd, 1997, written by Robert C. Cooper and directed by the show's creator, Jonathan Glasner. Quite rare for him to get his hands dirty with a show, but... <laughs> mm. The episode kicks off with the traditional MGM lion, and we see an oldie-worldie gate room. <laughs> an oldie-worldie music. <laughs> Yes, I like the music, though. It seemed to fit. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, it's sort of like a older saxophone attempt at the Stargate tune. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they play another scene in bygone times where they have something that you think, is that Glenn Miller? It sounds like yeah, it's yeah. a big band. Yeah. We see some, some very interestingly coloured footage of some serious science types trying to turn the gate by hand. Yeah. Yeah, they've got these little, you can only assume, magnetic handles around the inner ring and trying to all they are turning it by hand yeah they, it's charging it's one of the chevrons locked you know <laughs> i mean it is a wonder anybody actually put two and two together and even got close to figuring out what the stargate was yeah it's a general conceit of this episode that you need to uh accept it yes they know it needed to stand upright and need to face forward applying power to this crystal and not that crystal made the chevron move and lock and charge and <laughs> yeah especially since they never got a full translation of the cartouche either until many, many decades later. Yeah. Yeah, it's not as if the Stargate has PowerPoint, you know, on the side. You've got to find out the actual connector. Well, as we'll see a bit later, you can just wrap some cable around it as well. There is that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, the camera kind of zooms out, then we realise we are actually seeing old film footage on the CRT. Daniel Jackson is there, riveted by it. Filmed in 1945. Jack doesn't seem that impressed. Daniel's convinced that, you know, oh, the Pentagon have sent us everything. And Jack just coughs and says, the Pentagon have lost entire countries before. Yeah. Uh, Daniel says that the gate was experimented on in 1945 as a possible weapon. Which makes sense. Any sort of technology, they'd been looking at some sort of military application. Yeah. We also had um, Carsten's first cameo. I called Carsten. I can't forget his name now. Um, Don't think we actually see his face in this scene, though, do we? Yeah, just for the transition. Sure it does, because you got the guy walking around with the camera, the handheld camera. I'm like, that probably wouldn't happen. I'd have fixed cameras on it, and not just one guy dancing around between everyone doing I thought the revelation that it was young Ernest played by Paul McGillian was late in the episode. I know, because I thought there was a clear photo of him before we looking at the monitor. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but SG-1's due for a physical two weeks of back-breaking experiments on them. Jackson's complex because there's no notes on why they stopped the research or why they stopped the experiments. And as you said, the Pentagon's probably lost everything. Yeah, then it becomes pretty apparent that there were some minor complications in the experimentation, which got to put the whole project on the shelf as uh, 
the guy walks through the Stargate. And, you know, Daniel's amazed they got it working. Jack is stunned. And that's when the wormhole collapses and they're left with just airlines and tethers. Mm. And you figure, you yeah, know, that's probably why it was shut down and not experimented on further. Yep. I was going to say, no kawoosh. And um, <laughs> at what point did the Pentagon transform their 8mm film over to VHS? <laughs> You'd was need... it VHS in 45? 45. I assume this yeah. was done early, um, at a much later date. Yeah, the tapes look brand new. <laughs> I imagine they'd done them just then, within the last couple of months. Oh, okay. But what sort of security clearance would you need to go into a Pentagon vault? Just on the off chance, you could you could find anything. Mm. Obviously, they haven't got up-to-date records of some, what's in some of the storerooms, so... A lowly lieutenant, given the job of, you know, transferring all these, putting one tape in there, <laughs> film roll in there, watching it as it records. God knows what he could find. Yeah, true. Right, we jump to the credits and back again, and we see a very nice house. This is where Catherine Langford lives. She's got a, a maid. A little bit older than we're used to seeing her, and different actress from the movie, of course. And the maid let Stranger in that said he knew Catherine. <laughs> She just let her in. Let him in. I'd like to think that maybe Catherine had a picture of him or something. Yeah. Knowing how important he became to uh, her life's work. Especially after, yeah. she, it sounds like they just dumped her. Mm. After initial trip to Abydos, that was it, you know. <laughs> oh dear, it didn't work. Thank you for all your time, Catherine. The door's that way. Yeah, well, she gets angry here. Because she obviously hasn't seen... Jackson since they, he left for Abydos and she only knows from Jack that he stayed there so he told her and not the general that Jackson was actually alive and living on Abydos and she was upset because she found out the gate goes other places was never told very military interior yeah <laughs> really yeah you're no longer in the circle that needs to know so sorry <laughs> yeah but she still got the raw amulet as you said in the movie Daniel gave that to Jack told her to give it to back it brought him luck Nice tie-in that is pretty much guaranteed it's going to play a major part in Stargate Origins. Yeah, well, we get our first little hint of that here where she makes him tea and says, once, you, once you're done here, you can uh, go back to your Stargate command. Like, she doesn't like the word at all. No, I never thought of that. It was Cheyenne Mountain Complex in the... No, it wasn't. It was Creek Mountain or something in the movie, wasn't it? Was it was so... ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. They weren't in bed with the military at that time, unlike the TV series where the US Air Force couldn't give them enough stuff to play with. Yeah, the father headed a research team to uh, study the gate. The assumption from the movie that he was an archaeologist and discovered the gate, I don't know how that automatically gets you onto the gate research team. It doesn't seem like a military research team. Everyone looks like scientists. There's no, there wasn't any military guys there holding guns watching them. So. Maybe he had friends in high places. Yeah. It was in his possession. He offered it to the military with the proviso that if nothing comes of it, he gets it back. There probably was still much mystery about the hieroglyphics and he would have been an expert in it. And you've already got him there, so you don't have to read anybody else into the secret, keeping the, the circle small. Yeah, there's got to be a vast family fortune because he found it. He got it on a ship and got it back to America in the middle of World War, the war. We've seen from Continuum, the U-boats are out there. Well, just before one. Yeah, so he's, he's had to pay to get all that and get it back to the States, presumably into the hands of the government. Yeah, I imagine artefacts from Egypt and what like, you weren't, you weren't paying any sort of export taxes and whatnot. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Chartering a boat and having that skipper run when there's U-boats around it. We see back at the SGC some old boxes. Uh, I like the nice touch, US Army Air Corps, not Air Force. 
Katie in the Rage. Hammond comes storming in. A great <laughs> scene, you know. <laughs> Where's Daniel? <laughs> and then he's out again. An actor must kill for a scene like that. <laughs> Very upset that Daniel has kind of spilled the beans. This is a scene that's constantly jumping back and forth in the timeline. See that Catherine is uh, 21 years old. She has a relationship with a young Ernest, played by, as we said, Paul McGillian. She's obviously infatuated with him. He's not not quite there. His, his mind is still on the work. Mm. But she sort of has a bit of knowledge here as well, tying to an alternate DC current to a charger gate because there was an explosion. They got feedback to the generators in an experiment. Yes, I think it's safe to say that her father raised her to be an intelligent and self-motivated young woman. Yeah. He may be mellowing in his age, expecting her to be, you know, the model daughter and ultimately the model housewife, the maid. You know, why are you serving the tea? You've got made for that. Yeah. She has a mind of her own and Ernest is really, you know, he's, he's missing all the signals. Take a few evenings off from working on the Stargate. <laughs> Take her out to the movies. Yeah. Take a yeah, dance. Yeah. Don't get lost in your work. There's a couple more tidbits here. Like how how does the conversation go where the father stops doing the research and she gets his notes whether he died and she got him in the will or was handed down or something. But she says forty years had passed, which would have made her forty in nineteen eighty five. Wait a minute, twenty one. I don't know where that math come from. Um, but for, <laughs> 40, 40 years had passed anyway. Yeah, so she was 40 in 1985 when she started research on the gate. That's not a young Catherine Langford, as far as I know. There are always going to be a little manipulating of the timeline and the narrative yeah. to make any future production work. Yeah. And most people aren't going to remember anything like that anyway. Mm. <laughs> yes, this is where uh, Daniel whips out his VHS pops it through, I assume, like say, VHS, Betamax, I assume it was VHS. That's where we see Ernest, and we get a nice full frontal face of Paul McGillian putting on his copper hat, mm. walking through the gate, and she, she is not very happy. Not only the fact no. that he didn't die. In fact, she's probably more upset that he didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, he was her fiancé, and he took that risk. Didn't send anybody else, didn't have a military volunteer. I can understand why she'd be significantly upset. Yeah, that's one of the things. If you've got someone that sort of knows how the gate works, you don't send the captain on the away team, really. <laughs> no, exactly. Back at the SGC, Hammond is still upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got a briefing room. Catherine's there. Tilk and Catherine. Oh, that was beautiful, that was. I love how Tilk turns on and Catherine says, Daniel's telling me all about you. I just wanted to see another vein on Hammond's forehead pop. <laughs> 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 because yeah. then we get Jack. Then we get Jack. You had to go that one more, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Dan- Daniel does tend to go big. If he decides to break a rule, he goes for it. Yeah. General West is brought up as well. Call yep. back to the movie. Hammond is uh, compared to a teddy bear. Yeah. That was nice. Sam makes a strange appearance. That was a puzzle because I'm thinking, when did she meet Catherine? Yeah. She says she worked on the gates. I assume she'd been to the base before. The Abydos mission to study it and to get data, but uh, I I wouldn't accept that if the Stargate writers claim that. Okay. Of course, I mean we know it's, there's not a huge window of time between the movie and the TV series, but well, it says we'll say six months here. There's a lot in Samantha's backstory that you just got to take as gospel. Yeah. I would have thought it made more sense if there'd been a full introduction between Samantha and Catherine at that point. 
in fact, it would have been a nice scene where Catherine was pleased there was a woman working on, on the gate and actually using the gate. Well, that's it. We only know she studied the gate at Area 51, so I'm sure paths crossed at some point. But then again, again, military, she probably wouldn't have met the civilian command, uh, civilian leader of the operation back then. Well, if you remember uh, that episode where... I'm not even going to... I can't remember the episode name. Where Sam and Daniel were the nerds. And Sam was actually working on this theoretical physics, but her boss would take <laughs> all the credit. Something similar could have happened here. She could have been doing the hard grunt work, but the actual presentations were being done by someone a little higher up. Yeah. Right, we're back in the gate room. We've got a map being geared up to be sent through. Daniel and Jack are bookending Catherine, arm in arm. Almost looks like they're doing a Wizard of Oz take. <laughs> I did but, notice that. Yeah. It would have been quite funny if, if they'd all taken one of them little steps back and then steps forward and off they went, hand in hand, <laughs> in hand through the gate. Even a gesture from Jack to say, let's go Dorothy or... Yeah, something like that. It might have been a bit on the nose since they've done it before for it, for Catherine to say, oh, we're not in Oz anymore, but only so many times you can keep mentioning The Wizard of Oz before it gets a little bit old and the audience starts annoyed with you. <laughs> starts rolling their eyes. Yeah. Also, too, we had from Carter a little bit earlier that... This is dressed the first one that's not on the Abydos Cartouche as well. Yeah, very significant. We haven't had the fifth race yet, have we? No. So we don't know about other addresses. So, yeah, as you said, yeah, very significant. Yeah, the very idea that there could be a world that the Gawold have never even heard of, what sort of technology could be there. So definitely worth a visit if it wasn't even for Catherine or Ernest. Yeah, until brings... That's pretty much why Hammond says, my mind's already made up. The argument's been made, you know, sentimentality, that's just icing on the cake. <laughs> no, Hammond wanted to hear his people talk, and it's another <laughs> occasion where I've already made up my mind, and it's like, you, you have, what? <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to say anything, I was already convinced. Because <laughs> um, we also get there to talk to us at the Gould or Stick Avengers and probably get whatever tech they can, because he only speaks when it's appropriate to. <laughs> of course, yes. Yeah. Never has such a short sentence been able to clarify a character's motivation before. <laughs> right, we get a truncated wormhole sequence and we're on the planet. We're in a, a quite impressive set. It's dark, dank, it looks stony, but it's pretty big. Given that, nice setup. The gate on one platform with the DHD in the background, sunken area in the middle with steps, columns, doorways. Put a little bit of money onto this set. Hmm. Yeah, it's a large room, but it's not really a high ceiling. But did I hear alien pigeons? Well, I thought I heard pigeons cooing uh, the whole time. Don't know. <laughs> in between that, in between that, the crumbly walls. Oh, the building was creaking and straining and dust was oh. coming down. It didn't bode well, that's for sure. You, you think stone buildings shouldn't be making the sound. I don't understand the urgentness to find him and get out of there. <laughs> and they say they're just, they're just looking around, all of a sudden... I think it's Sam, isn't it, who just goes, oh my. Uh, yep. <laughs> and there, there's a silhouetted figure in a doorway. Naked. Naked. <laughs> <laughs> Older Ernest, played by Keen Curtis, who unfortunately passed back in 2002. You might have known him from Cheers, where he used to play the owner of the restaurant above the bar. A very good character actor. Mm. Of course, he's he just looked at him in not much of an expression. You know, you've got, you've got the feeling that... He's been here that long, it's going to take an awful lot to surprise him, and three or four people walking around this room doesn't surprise him that much. And then, like, something breaks, and he just, tears start coming down, and 
Stop hugging everybody. Yeah, or he, he pokes Daniel and Daniel says, yeah, we're real. Yeah, and it's about time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 50 years alone. Yeah, and then he sees, well, he tries to hug Sam. It was interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she dodged that bullet. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and then he sees Catherine. Not quite sure what to understand at that point. He just nods, smiles, and, and walks off. <laughs> well, he gives, he gives a little huff, like he's not impressed <laughs> to see her. Yeah, at this point, you're thinking, okay. But then again, you think, well, maybe he wouldn't recognise her. No reason to recognise well, her. People change. That's the thing. And if we realise in a minute that he's been talking to her in his head for a long time, like he'd have the image of that 21-year-old girl in his head still, not the uh, elderly lady. And I don't really see the resemblance between the two actors myself as well. No. <laughs> I mean, at this point, his version of Catherine is more real than anything he could be presented with. Well, you'd remember the last time he'd seen her. Right, we get, we call it a castle. I don't know what else you can really call it. <laughs> Although, to be honest, why they built, we got a, an external view. And normally in traditional times, you know, the olden days, when they built a castle near the sea, it was for defensive purposes. It was high ground, your back was protected by the ocean, cliffs, and you had a very steep access point on land. This castle was kind of built in a hollow near the ocean. You don't think four one to see his Vikings set sail each day before a meeting? <laughs> I, honest, I, I don't I don't understand the design of it. Or you know, maybe there's a there's a long complex story behind this. Maybe the world was used to be volcanic. I don't know. Ask me to describe a castle, a structure built of stone near the ocean. It wouldn't look anything like that. Yeah, well that's that's it. There's no if it, this was a meeting place for the four races. It's it's sort of it didn't need to be that heavily fortified. It's odd that it's all stone and there's not much tech in it, but you can see too, it's been 50 years and he says the storm comes every year, so there's possible erosion that sort of shrunk the coastline slightly. I'm not going to say a lot. But... <laughs> Again, I think we just got to take it that the map painter did a particular look for it and they were happy with it. Or they had it in their back pocket from another feature and said, oh, we'll just use this. Could be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, we see Daniel decides to go after Ernest, walks down the stairwell, comes into a room which is very different. The stone walls are much smoother, definitely more refined, polished. We see a lot of bedding. Uh, this is obviously where Ernest sleeps and spends the night. Daniel actually asks him to, you know, has he got any clothes? <laughs> Not surprisingly, his whole, his whole deep sea diving suit is still reasonably intact. It would have been very hard. It would have been leather or no, it wouldn't be synthetic um, at that point. It would have to be fibre, some sort of treated fibre. Yeah. Very thick. I don't think it was canvas. Um, I, don't, I don't know what they originally made out of. But yeah, it'd be durable. It'd be a lot more durable than, say, cotton underwear or whatever. Yeah. If you yeah. wear them, so. No, it wouldn't, wouldn't last 50 years of constant wear. Especially no, if you got, no. No, got much place to wash them either. Yeah. <laughs> It's a miracle he's alive, to be honest. Well, yeah, we see some food. He gives Daniel some food here too, so that ticks that box off. Fresh water is the other one, but 50 years may be a bit of a stretch. 20, 25 years may have been a bit easier to handle, but anyway, it's a story we're dealt. Yeah. We get a small scene of uh, Samantha and Catherine having a little heart-to-heart. It works. It, set, it sets up the idea that Catherine is kind of upset about the fact that uh, Ernest didn't kind of rush into her arms as well but you know some points out you know you've just, you've just got to address the issue you know 
take the bull by the horns. It's not as if Catherine's ever been shy or not forthcoming about anything that is disturbing her. Yeah. She certainly wore the, the pants in that burgeoning relationship between her and Ernest. <laughs> uh, we see Ernest has a, his own notebook, kind of a diary of sorts. He considers it a depository. And this is where we learn that he's been talking to Catherine all the time. She's been his constant mm. companion. And at that point, I wrote down, Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> and why not? It keeps you saying somebody to talk to. The only worry is if they start talking back. Yeah, or <laughs> suggesting things. Ernest, he was never alone. He always had companionship. Kept him sane, kept him going, kept, kept his mind busy. Gave him the impetus to do the work that he reveals to Daniel later in the episode. Yeah, he must have had that notebook inside the suit. Because you see, he's got several pages with calendar marks on it as well. Keeping the mind active, noting down each day. <laughs> Whether or not a day is the same day as Earth. 50 years to us may have been 100 years to him. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> or to that planet, you never, you never know. It would have been useful if he'd claimed to have found something in this complex. You know, some primitive writing tools or something. If this was a meeting place, you've got to ask yourself, as we come to know, were the Asgard, the Knots, the Furlings, who were the fourth? Oh, the Ancients. Ancients. The Ancients, yeah. God, Jesus, the Ancients. <laughs> Don't forget the important one. <laughs> yeah, why were they meeting here? I mean, was this the first place all four came together? Was this, like you said, an old Viking settlement? Uh, maybe the Asgard were protecting it, came across the Ancients at some point, and for some reason they chose this place to build their alliance. Either way, you'd think there'd been something left behind, and that might have explained how he could survive this long. As you said, they, they gave us a little little bonus with, he's got food. What the hell it was, I'm not sure, but he had food. A castle is always going to have a well. Can't rely yeah. on fresh water coming in, because if, if you get blockaded, you're screwed. Yep. So there'd been a well of some sort. But uh, I'd like to have seen a little bit more evidence that Ernest didn't survive purely on what he was carrying with him at the time. Well, and that's I mean, because we've seen them at the photo of the castle, that sort of really froze for a loop. Like, why why build a castle and decide to make that the meeting place and only have one room with some tech in it and one room for your meeting place? You'd think it'd be sort of like, like an Acropolis or where the uh, the weather device is on Madrona, just like a, a circle of columns where the four races can beam in, fork and then disappear again back to their ships. Yeah, and, and why abandon it? Yeah, well... Why isn't there, a, is it a plec- Asgard-protected planet? Lots of questions that could require answers. Who knows, we may get them at some point. <laughs> right, we jump back into the main room of the castle. The lads have done a quick survey, looking for whatever. This is where Ernest informs them that this is the annual storm season. It's regular, it's, it's not going to be pretty. We're going to go home. I was both annoyed and amazed that this is the first time they've checked the DHD. Twice now. Jack's been standing in front of it, and Carter was standing in front of it just moments ago. And neither of them peered over the, <laughs> over the side. And... Yeah. Now, what's one of the standing orders, or at least will be? As soon as you gate through, dial back, we're okay. Let them know you're okay. Send them out back. Yeah, anything. Yeah. To find out that the DHD is broke a couple of hours later... Oh. Yeah. Ernest, oh, we're not going home then. Yeah. Oh, he, he says to him, I tried for years to make it work. And Daniel's like, you didn't try putting symbols into him. 
how the hell would he even know the Earth address? He gated to another, like, he could have put symbols in, it would have worked a lot more than just randomly dying at the Earth gate, but he wouldn't have gone home. There's no way the first address he punched in. Not having seen a DHD before, and the fact that the DHD is that far away from the gate, he wouldn't know what it was. Yeah. You know, it'd be great if he knew what it was. He, he could have gone there straight away. The uh, the symbols would have, may have been still lit up as he'd gone through. We're assuming that he, re- he could even remember the gate address. Mm. This nice touch, though, is speech has vastly improved. It's almost like, you know, everything's in his brain is switching back on. Yeah. And Jack's angry because isn't this exactly what the probe's supposed to pick up? And Carter goes, no, it's seen the DHD was here. That's all it needs to do. <laughs> yeah, that's good enough. There's a DHD yeah. there. Yeah. Not the greatest advert for the professionalism of Stargate Command. No. But since they have time to uh, enact repairs, Ernest wants to show Daniel something. Oh, yes. This is an impressive surprise for Daniel. The device, and as he describes it, as the meeting place of four great races. Mm. Meanwhile, Sam is working on the DHD. It, it doesn't look good. We do get a good look at uh, the insides, though the the crystal contr- the control crystals, which become more important as as a story as a series is fleshed out. Mm. All alien technology has got to be got to be different from plain circuit boards that we're familiar with. How low tech? Well, funnily enough, you know, you look at the crystals; they are very simple devices, but they do an incredible amount of work, mm. and that is probably the mark of advanced civilization. Something that complex can look so simple. Efficiency. Yeah. It's not like the, the really state-of-the-art amplifier, which is so good, it just has a volume control. Whereas you go and buy, buy one for two or three hundred pounds, it's got more knobs and dials on. <laughs> <laughs> right, back in the device room, Jack uh, walks in. Um, that looks familiar. Now, I'm not quite sure if he's thinking of the gold device that created the shield. The fifth commandment, yeah, that's that's all I can think of. Either that, or the the orange dome's the same as the DHD. Could be the only yeah. two. The only two I can think of. Yes, yeah, we get devices switched on. We get uh, holograms projected into the air. Daniel is able to identify them as atoms, electrons, and protons or neutrons. I can never remember protons in it. Hmm, I think so quickly realises that they reflect the periodic table, they are graphic representation of the elements. Do you know how many elements are on the periodic table now? Not currently, I know he said there was 95 when he left. Catherine says there's only 120 or 125 on there now, which would have been 99 or 2000. Ernie said 90, Sam said there's 111, and there was 146. Yep. Okay, I've got a picture of it. I'm not going to count them all. Come on, it's surely... <laughs> 118. So we've gone up seven since 1997. Well, there you go. Amazing. It's natural to sort of decline, the upward spiral decline, because I don't think we're finding that much new stuff anymore, are we? <laughs> Who knows when we start looking into the the orc cloud and yeah, find all sorts of uh, interesting things out there if we ever get our act together. Alien parasites. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right then, Daniel is... Quick to figure out that this is a language primer. When you have intelligent races or speaking different languages, you need to break down your method of communication to something that is common to every race. And the structure of the universe is constant. The elements, how they're created, how they're made up. Start from there, you can work your way back up. Yeah, I'm going to be a bit slow here. I don't see how the atomic symbol for iron 
is hello or how are you today? I don't think that is what they mean. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't get what they mean at all. It's still going to take a huge amount of intelligence to work your way up. You've got to have a common frame of reference. That's one of the problems when Daniel meets a new species, well, not a species, a new population, and is able to translate stuff. There's got to be at least some common ground for him to latch onto. Yeah. And it's almost like Esperanto, creating a language from its base roots. Not a brand new language, it's just a deviation on existing languages. Mm. But it stands alone by itself. It's a language that is learnable by all the parties involved. Yeah, but I don't see the periodic table as a language, or the elements as it's a language. It's not a language. It's just a hello message. If everybody involved understands the math of the periodic table, the elements, how they're constructed, hydrogen atoms, how they are constructed, the relationship, the ratios, you've got a common frame of reference. It may be that the language is purely mathematical. It may never go to the point where you start talking, hello, how are you? Oh, hello, Bob. It's been a few years. How well, are you? Yeah. How's the kids? Having the different languages written on the walls behind probably muddles that a little bit. Yeah. Either way, I think it's safe to say that between them, the ancients, the Asgard, the Nox and the Furlings were able to communicate to a point where they got on well together and started to shape the universe as they saw fit. Yeah. The meaning of life stuff. Yeah. We see the the Malps are being stripped down for their power cells. <laughs> Poor Fred. <laughs> Fred's yeah. gone. Yeah, it didn't last long. Jump leads, I assume maybe the mouth had a winch that would explain where they got most of the uh, real long metal cabling from. Yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure it does have a winch ball on the front of it. I like the fact that Sam had her sleeves rolled up. Yeah, in working <laughs> she, mode. <laughs> she means business. <laughs> Going to hook the DHD directly to the gate and try and uh, unlock the inner ring. The batteries do supply some power. Does not really go... <laughs> batteries yeah well i love that i absolutely love that sound effect of just the gate trying to power up and like nearly there nearly there and it dimmed up <laughs> it tried yeah 10 points for effort almost as if it had a will of its own mm. i don't know and i don't know if there's a um it's just an effect or because it would have been the location gate they were using but it's, there's like a red filter or red lights or something pointing at it whole time whenever you see the gate over someone's shoulder it's sort of got a red glow to it which i don't know if it's just like an internal light pointing at it it just doesn't look like the dull gray we're used to maybe that was part of the cinematography for this act yeah they were happy and thought well that looks all right because i know in the past and in the future they definitely they'll point a different colored light at it just to sort of give that different color or not all the gates look identical color wise to break it up a bit now we start to get some rumbling jack pulls harder Away, just as the DHT falls away yeah. from the floor. Yeah, duck and roll. <laughs> Convenient, the hole in the floor goes, but the side of the building doesn't, or more of the floor. Yeah, that was a very strange structural weakness in the design. Yeah. Very effective. Was that a was that a keystone that was added later, like that, that was the last piece added? It could be. If if the gourd ever attack, just stamp your foot there and the DHT will fall through this already prepared <laughs> hole. Yeah. Yeah, so bad news for everybody. They now have... No power, no DHD. Uh, <laughs> it's not looking good. <laughs> no. All right, we're back with Daniel and Ernest. Daniel identifies Norse and mentions the Asgard. Ernest is amazed that Thor was an alien. <laughs> no, That's yeah. another story. <laughs> yeah, another long story. Poor Ernest. He's, he's been away a long time. Things have changed. Tilk, back again. Can I give us an update? What do we want? What do we need? We want to go home. We need a stockgate. <laughs> we need power. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's better, actually. We want to go home. Yeah. We need a transport. <laughs> we also get Carter here saying that the inner wheel where I spin off minimum charge is achieved. Otherwise, it remains locked, which is a good little bit more of uh, how the gate works. Yeah. At this point, Jack comes down into the, I don't know what you'd call it, the library. I think it's, yeah, library's good enough. Yep. He wants the power cell from the device. I don't think the power cell's in that device. I think the power's in the castle somewhere and it's hooked up. But anyway, they go to shoot it and it doesn't work anyway. Why would you shoot it? Why would you stop at one shot? <laughs> but yeah. The first point would go, maybe like a DHD, there are panels you could open yeah. and extract the power cell. Or, as you say, find some conduits. Yeah. Don't just shoot it with a staff weapon. Worst case scenario, the damn thing blows up and takes you with it. Yeah. Takes a castle with it. <laughs> Knocks a castle down to the ocean floor and you got yeah. nowhere. You can't even get a message from Hammond. How would you feel if it did blow off the top and it rupted the power cell and it was useless after that? Yeah. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, not, not very smart. No, it wasn't. Daniel is... Obviously upset, as you said, this is the meaning of life stuff. This is this is the key to some of the secrets of the universe. Although, you've got to remember that while the show at this point and the characters at this point don't know it, most of these races out there have got all this information and it doesn't make life any easier for them. I was going to say, is there like four times the ancient database in that thing? He's got all the mysteries of the universe, the secrets, the knowledge. Well, mainly he says the knowledge of all these four great races. Like We've still only seen page one. <laughs> I... I'd be more inclined to believe it is just a language primer. Yeah. With with plenty of examples, but maybe only a basic basic textbook. Mm. This isn't a place where humanity comes and learns the secrets of everything. This may be no. a place where, like Thor on uh, Midgard. Was it Midgard? Samaria. Samaria. Midgard's Earth, isn't it? Yeah. Where they had that testing area. Prove yourself worthy. Mm. Prove yourself worthy there. Maybe you get taken to this planet and you're given this test. Yeah, I, I don't... Yeah, this wouldn't have been built to cater for humans. Like, it, if this was their meeting place, they, they disbanded long before we come along. Yeah. Just the way it's written, it's sort of, okay, we're going to see shortly what the database from one of these ancient races looks like, and I don't I don't think it's the same, but anyway. No. All credit to Jack at this point, though. He has his Ben Franklin <laughs> moment. Yeah. So let's put Tilk on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me <laughs> now as as we're talking about castles earlier normally the first thing that goes on a castle is the roof because it's made from timber yeah that's true it's very hard to get stone to sit up on top of a roof at that high but no, there's a weather vane up there and soon to be a diver's helmet to attract lightning while Tilk's hooking up cables <laughs> you really want to be climbing up there in the middle of a storm with that in your hand would you yeah but yep he does it Ernest, at this point, I was a fool. He's come to understand that, as he was explaining to Daniel, all this is nothing unless you can get home. Unless you can share it with someone. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Ernest has come to the conclusion now that his, his version of Catherine kept insane, but it wasn't what he wanted. Yeah. When he chose to go through the Stargate, stairway to heaven, whatever you want to call it, gateway to heaven, whatever. Yeah. Uh, what they... Oh, yeah, doorway to heaven or... It was the same same translation we see in the movie. Yeah, that's right. And that was from an earlier scene where Catherine's father and Paul or Carson are talking about it. And it's like, okay, well, we've had that translation all this time, not knowing its meaning, until Daniel turns up and says, no, that's not right. Yeah. Stargate. Yeah, it's one of the beauties of taking translate using uh, reference material to translate something and then pointing out that reference material is actually wrong. You do know that. Yeah. 
it kind of self-perpetuates. Everybody afterwards uses the same reference material and keeps making the same mistakes. You need that Rosetta Stone to kind of go back to basics and start again. Yeah. We get the name dropped in the Unending Temptation. Yes. The uh, I don't know. There are some terrible stories from you know the Greek and the Roman mythology about the gods punishing people for daring to be different mm. being strapped to a mountain having a bird come out and peck your liver eat your liver every day and rolling <laughs> rolling mountains up hills just to watch it roll down again and this yeah. one trying to take a drink and the tide just wash it goes out every time you bend down the gods have a funny sense of humor yes they certainly do <laughs> <laughs> yeah daniel is being ridiculously stubborn at this point mm. which makes me wonder i, I know that Carter's busy trying to fix the DHD, but wouldn't she be more suited at... I'm sure she studied some sort of chemical math as well at Area 51 while she was there, but wouldn't she be just as handy work on this, even though, as they say, it'd take a lifetime to go through it all, but... She's certainly more adept at the mathematical side of it, but my guess is that Ernest has probably done most of the legwork already. Yeah, well, he's already mapped out where each one is and... Yeah, Daniel is just kind of getting lost, got this big reference book and he's going from page to page to page, doesn't really know where to start, just knows he's got to keep going. Yeah. You know, he hasn't found anything groundbreaking at this point, but he knows it's there. And if he just stays that little bit longer, no place is coming apart. We're going to get one chance to get out of here. Even then, Daniel's saying, I can stay, it'll be all right. You're thinking, no, Daniel, the DHD has already fallen through the floor once. If you stay, the gate could be next. You may never get back. Yeah, we've seen that room's hanging out over the ocean. <laughs> yeah, this might be the last dorm this actual structure lives through or doesn't live through. Or the half the gate's in anyway. Yeah. But then, Daniel, don't you forgot the fact that he's married and, and his one goal in life is to find his wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. That, went, that went out the window quick, did it? It did, yeah. <laughs> no, it's almost like he's a, like an addiction. Yeah, that pretty much explains it. Got his little fix, and he just cannot walk away. So much so that Jack actually gives him the option. Okay, I'm not going to drag you away. That kind of just kicks Daniel up the backside, and he looks around, picks his notebook up, follows Jack up the stairs. Yeah, you know, another good moment between the two of them. It's just like he knows that deep down if Jackson wanted to do it, he can't stop him. It'd be great to have a zap gun at this point. I was going to say, it hasn't Tilt got a zap gun on his fire. <laughs> Slightly safer than hitting him with a staff weapon over the head. He'll be annoyed, but after the way the episode ends, he'll be grateful. <laughs> yeah. Don't know what happened. A piece of masonry <laughs> fell on your head, Daniel Jackson. <laughs> well, yeah, they do. Yeah, then they run back to the gate room and conveniently dive out of the way just before a piece of styrofoam falls from the roof. <laughs> a well pulled and textured piece of styrofoam. Now, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny how they dive before it even starts to come away from the roof yeah you know you're in trouble when you, your rocks bounce yeah <laughs> the building is shaking itself to pieces now there is a lightning strike the energy travels down the conduit hits the gate energizes they're able to manually dial wormhole is active it is not solid it is solid enough of course at this point jack and daniel are the other side of the room Sam, for some reason, is standing there, not going through. Tilt's of this, I'm off. Yep. Ernest gets, get, make sure Ernest and Catherine get through. Probably more important at this point. Then the patiently waiting. We get the last minute uh, charge towards the gate and leap through. 
Yeah, we haven't got to the concept here of holding the gate open yet. Where Sam could have been standing on the ramp. I'm not sure I'd want to put my hand into a fluctuating gate like that. Yeah, well, that, that's a very good point. Too. <laughs> because if it's going to fail, it's going to fail. Yeah, yeah. This isn't just the the mechanic saying, "No, everyone's through. Let's shut it down." It's no nope, power's gone off. Yeah. Hope you save the data. Yeah. So Jack and Daniel pretty hard falls when they land on the metal ramp, and Walter. Walter's there. He's in the background. Walter's everywhere in this first season, isn't he? Yeah. I didn't realise how how much time he actually spends on the first season. And he's the first on the credits at the end as technician, Gary Jones. <laughs> but yeah, that was a close one. I just made it through. But they did make it through. Of course they made it through. Of course. <laughs> Everybody's safe. Time elapses now. We're back in the gate room. They're dialing the planet again and they don't get a lock. Whatever happened, chances are the castle has collapsed. The gate is at the bottom of the ocean. Impossible to dial now. Yeah, I'd say this is more of just the timing in season one and not their understanding of the tech because we've seen gates open underground before. <laughs> like, there'd have to be something seriously wrong. Even if it was flooded with water, we've seen gates underwater as well, so... A little grey area. If there's not nothing physically yeah, within the area where the wormhole begins to form, then it can it can actually create itself. Yeah. That's what punches the hole underground. If you just put some cover stones within the gate, then it, can't, it won't work. It won't even try to... But as you say, water should stop a gate from forming, but, uh, well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, season one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get a lot more hugged. Seems to be... Uh... Carter's working on a computer model for all the data they brought back that we'll never see again. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's going to take years to actually create something that can decipher this raw data. Mm. That's just something she hands off to Area 51. Yeah. And also here that Catherine, Catherine and Ernest want Daniel to tell them when they meet the other, meet the four races. I'm just wondering, did um, <laughs> did Daniel give her a call after they forced Chariot after that mission? Mm, I don't think he did. No, I don't. <laughs> you can't keep taking chances with General Hammond. You're allowed to uh, roll the dice a few times before he starts getting antsy. Just one day, Catherine starts going to the uh, letterbox and there's a brown paper envelope in there with <laughs> some photos and some scribbled notes. Yeah, from you-know-who. Yeah. <laughs> right, so, uh, like I say, lots more hugs as the episode closes, and I can't help but feel that Ernest is due about 50 years back pay. <laughs> I think they'll be all right. <laughs> well, he never asked, but no one told him that we won the war either. Normally, that's because they'll do research during the war as a weapon to win... A lot of these sort of a lot of films are that where you find someone that's been lost for since wartime. One of the questions is always, did we win? But again, they must have been sort of civilian scientists, not military science, to begin with. Yeah, I'm gonna say you'd have to be reasonably early in 1945. I mean, yeah, obviously VE and VJ VJ day months apart, and then the formal yeah. formal cessations of hostilities much later in the year. But then I suppose like you wouldn't know if the peace would hold. If in a year or two it'd be started back up again, or where the next war would be, so if you could utilize the weapon, there's no doubt the U.S. military, any military, would keep funding that sort of research, mm. be- because the government at the time would still be plowing money into it. Yeah. Well, also they'd turn around and say, "Hey, we've had a successful nuclear test. We don't need. We don't. We don't need this little ring that may turn on and spin. We got an atomic bomb." Yeah, exactly. It's the only button we need to push. <laughs> And that was The Torment of Tantalus. Very good. Highly enjoyable episode. Yep. One of my favourites from season one. It just sort of takes the world we know. It just sort of really lays the path for the next nine seasons. 
yeah, there's there's lots of uh, information there that's going to be allowed to sprout. The four races obviously leads into the fifth race. We've already met the Nox, the Asgard in passing, if you will. The Ancients, of course, simply strong figure of uh, the franchise. Yep. Shame about the furlings, but hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we get it. We get one. We get them once, sort of. Sort of. Yeah. They are not Ewoks, no matter what they look like. <laughs> they were not Ewoks. Uh, Paul McGillian turning up in Stargate SG-1, then being cast as Beckett in Atlantis. Mildly amusing, mm. looking back at that. Another actress to play Catherine Lambert. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm pretty sure from memory, we only get, we don't really get much more of her in the series, do we? The old one in 1969, that's about it. Obviously, a character that the fan base are demanding to know more of. Yeah, well, the studio wants the fan base to know more. That's <laughs> <laughs> not shaping up to be that good at the moment. Well, maybe in a week or so, we will be allowed to give them money to watch Stargate Origins when it eventually appears. Mm. At this point, we are not allowed to give them money. Uh, I won't be giving them money. <laughs> I've got everything on DVD. I, I can watch it. I don't. That is kind of the point. If you're a hardcore Stargate fan, then you already own the series. Yeah, the guys are getting the gate done the math. If, if you're new... To the franchise and want to watch every episode you got to watch two episodes a day just to watch everything before they cut the subscription again in may next year yeah it seems strange doesn't it it does we'll see though yeah it's still it's supposed to be out this year we don't even know what the hell it is really <laughs> okay then folks that was the torment of tantalus as you know the Soulgate archives is a more free-form podcast i'd like to tell you what i'm going to be releasing next time but at this point i'm not quite sure myself so tune in when it appears Pop up on iTunes, tweet it, Facebook it, uh, Google Plus it, and Tumblr it, as usual. Uh, as I do with uh, all the Stargate podcasts that I listen to or have access to. Right then, Brad, as always, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, thanks, Mike. It's been a pleasure. Give us your podcasting and Transformers info, if you would. Uh, yes, currently. Uh, just about to approach the halfway point in the Lost World Dress Park uh, in our minute-by-minute podcast there, thelostworldminute.com. And, of course, the Transformers stuff going over here in Australia at transformerscca.com. We've got associated podcasts to go with those as well. Excellent. Um, humming and hawing if I should watch the uh, the last movie or not. <sighs> I'll, I'll probably watch it just because it's there, for the same reason I watched the latest Pirates of the Caribbean, which was an incredibly disappointing movie. Yeah, I've still got to watch that. But just, just go in with, leave your mind at the door. Just The plot doesn't make sense. Character motivations don't make sense. There's... <laughs> Supposedly 40 minutes that were cut. The 40 minutes? Yeah, two hour and 36 minute. I don't think it's two hour and 25 they, minute film, so. They cut out all the character interaction bits, which are just boring. Who wants to watch that? Well, and that's a general thing going around. How could they cut 40 minutes of CGI they'd paid for? It'd have to be character yeah. moments. And... All those little nuances that make characters worth watching. <laughs> that make the story make sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay, then, folks, if you want to get in touch with those, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can contact me on email, stargatearchives at gmail.com. Our website, stargatearchives.com. You'll find us on Facebook, Google+, and on Twitter, we are at the Gatecast. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you join us next time. But until then, I've been Mike. And I've been Brad. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.